you turn with me in the Word of God to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, we'll read. This is God's inerrant Word. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall they then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And now from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father in heaven, we bow before you. We do want to know your perfect will and apply it and live it out. We thank you that we can hear your word now. And we do pray, as we prayed earlier, Lord, may we be hearers of your precious law and then go out as doers of your precious word. And so we thank you for this time. Lead us, we pray. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, for we ask it in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Well, dear stewards, you are all stewards. I will address you as that. This is our fifth in the series, probably the last. And we have already covered a number of things regarding stewardship since the beginning of the year. First of all, well, it wasn't first, I guess, but we talked about stewardship of the word, stewardship of the gospel, that the word that he has given us that we are meant to proclaim. We talked about stewardship of our time uh, um, and how we are to use our days. And we, that was through Psalm 90. And we asked the Lord to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom so we would be good stewards of the time that he gives us. And then we talked about being stewards of money and wealth that he gives us. Certainly we are wealthy. Now, we have to remember that all these are his. They are all his. And today we'll be thinking about the stewardship of the body and of the mind. The Lord of glory, our creator and our master, came in a body. Now, our bodies are weakened, of course, by sin, and yet he made them, and they are still wonderful, even now in their weakened state. They are wonderful. They're amazing, and they will be glorified, and they will keep some of their distinctives. In 1 Corinthians 15, it tells us the body is sown in corruption. In other words, they will decay. It's sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. We'll have a glorious body someday. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Praise God. We can look forward to that. Jesus on the earth healed the many bodily ailments when on earth. He's still doing that now, by the way. And so we should seek our healer's touch. We can do that. And we have done that. And also, I should say a big and, and also we are to be responsible, faithful stewards according to his word in this regard. The Lord does not honor poor stewardship of any kind. And there are natural consequences of the misuse or the poor stewardship also of our body or of our mind. A healthy body and mind enables us, I believe, to serve in all the other areas of, of being a steward. And we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And how you care for your body is a witness, brothers and sisters. It's a witness, really, of what you believe about God's gift, specifically about your body and your mind. This is a stewardship trust, again. The Heidelberg Catechism, number one, says, I could all ask you to repeat that, but it says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? 
And the answer is that I am not my own, exactly what this text is saying. I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is also our master. He is also our master and our Lord. So I'd like to read again very quickly verses 12 through 14. 1 Corinthians 6. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any or any one. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Now the Corinthian believers, I would call them, I guess, the weak Corinthian believers, were here actually trying to justify that they had liberty now, they had freedom now, they felt, to continue in certain ways that Paul had to tell them very clearly, that is not correct, that is not helpful, that is not right. So they began by saying basically that uh, they had these liberties, that anything was basically okay. Uh, In other words, you know, that what I do with my body doesn't really matter, so it's okay to go eat whatever or to be with a temple prostitute, which the laws of Corinth allowed, in fact, they encouraged it there, it was big business. And so Paul had to tell them that everything is not helpful or even allowed for the Christian. And so the saying here, all things are lawful for me, and some uh, commentaries, actually, that's in a quote, because they consider that, many commentaries would, and it makes sense, that that is what Paul was saying, the Corinthians were saying. Well, hey, all things are lawful for me, but then Paul had an answer for that. That's what they were saying, and Paul's response was, but all things are not helpful certainly not helpful as a Christian or as a steward. If something or some action brings a Christian under the power of something or someone other than the Lord their master, they are not then faithful stewards. Our liberty, brothers and sisters, does not extend to being enslaved by any bodily appetite. And we cannot misuse the body uh, that the Lord has given to us individually. We cannot misuse our own body without the body of Christ being impacted if you are being a poor steward in this area, you're not just hurting yourself, is what I'm saying. We cannot have an addicted body or an addicted mind and not impact the body of Christ here with those whom you have covenanted to support and who have covenanted to support you. Now the Corinthian culture was, I believe, like our culture is becoming, maybe already is in many ways, all about self-gratification. If you're gonna define our culture, that might be one word to do it, a hyphenated word. But our body is the Lord's, it's very clear, and we must not let it be a slave to anything else or to anyone else. Our body is, says, is for the Lord, very clearly here, and certainly not to be used as we desire for ourselves, certainly, especially not for sexual immorality. Matthew Henry said, the expectation we have of being without bodily appetites in a future life is a very good argument against being under their power in the present life. Let me read that again. The uh, the expectation we have of being without bodily appetites in a future life is a very good argument against being under their power in the present life. We should not be under their power as we are walking in the flesh. Romans 6 says, therefore, the therefore is there because by the grace of God, we can say no to sin. We have been redeemed. We have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So we can say, we can, this is what he meant. Therefore, because of that, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not let it reign there. That you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present your members. That's what stewards do, in a sense. But present your members as instruments of righteousness, unrighteousness I'm sorry, but present your members to God as instruments of righteousness, as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So our bodies are for the Lord and are to be used as instruments of righteousness for the Lord. They're not to be used as instruments of self-pleasure, not not to be used uh, to serve other masters, certainly, and not to be enslaved by anyone or anything, not to be enslaved by our bodily appetites. Well, secondly, verses 15, it's 15 says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, this is in quotes, he says, the Lord 
shall become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So here we see another way of thinking of the seriousness of knowing and, and acting with the knowledge that our bodies are members of Christ, and there we are joined to the Lord by his Holy Spirit. We are united with him, and that union is likened here to marriage, where the marriage bed, it says in Hebrews 13, is to be kept undefiled. It's not to be defiled. One flesh in marriage is a gift from the Lord, as is the union that we have uh, with the Lord uh, by his Spirit. Our bodies were created for the Lord, for his service and glory, and it is his property, and he should have dominion over it. And praise God, the Lord will resurrect this body, this weak body, your weak bodies, and he will glorify this body. Philippians 3.21 says, uh, assures us, this is your assurance, that Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. What a blessed hope. That wonderful promise should give us pause to consider now, how well are we stewarding the body that he has given us for that day? Moving on, verses 18 through 20. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does outside the body is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are the Lord's. So sexual immorality is a sin against the body of the Lord. The body the Lord has given to believers uh, to use as instruments of righteousness. The pulpit commentary said this, our other sins may be with and by means of the body and may injure the body, but none are so directly against the sanctity of the whole bodily being as fornication. And the Geneva Study Bible echoed that by saying fornication is to be avoided because it defiles the body with a peculiar type of filthiness. We are not our own. That could be, and maybe should be, a, a, the phrase of any believer. I am not my own. Any faithful steward who understands that he and his body and mind and all he has uh, is not his own. Praise God that we are not our own. Now, our natural self wants to say something like, it's, you know, it's mine, it's all mine. Everything's mine. It's all about me. It's kind of like, it reminded me here of the birds in uh, Finding Nemo. You know, every time they saw something, they all went together and said, mine, mine, mine. You know, I, th I think of that. Every time I think of, you know, thinking like something like this. Well, it's not mine. But if you are in Christ and his spirit dwells in you, you must think and act that way, though. It is not mine. It is not all mine. It is all his. I am all his. And why is it not our own? Because, frankly, we are slaves. We were bought and redeemed from slavery to sin, and now we are meant to serve our master who redeemed us to glorify him in our body and in our mind, in our heart and spirit. The Lord made, uh, created both our body and mind, obviously, uh, and he purchased both our body and mind on the cross, so they doubly belong to him. Body and spirit or mind must be kept clean. Fornication in action or in the mind, according to Matthew 5, verse 28, which is called adultery of the heart, dishonors the Lord our master. First Peter 2 tells us this. Peter said, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, which we also are, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. They do wage war against your soul and your mind they can harm your body. Matthew Henry said this, Christians are possessed and occupied and inhabited by his Holy Spirit. This is the proper notion of a temple, a place where God dwells and sacred to his use, fit for his use and residence. It's a good picture of what our body should be. Let's move on to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul said, I beseech you, again, he's urging them, uh, by the mercies of God, that they present their bodies to God as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. He said, and that's part of your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so we continually offer all we are, body and mind, to him. 
to lay ourselves on the altar in a sense, again and again, because of his great mercy in saving us. Our service as stewards and of presenting our bodies to him is really a constant act, or it can be, a constant act of love and thankfulness and praise in worship to him who sacrificed himself for us. He died for us. He gave his body for us. We are to present our body to the Lord as a sacrifice and to dedicate it wholly to him. And you all know in the sacrificial system, bringing an offering that was blemished was not pleasing to the Lord, was not acceptable to him. But we have been cleansed, praise God, and uh, are acceptable now uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ and through him. And so we can now, as faithful stewards, offer our bodies by caring for it and using it well in his service. So this is kind of what I'm thinking uh, of w- that we could say. Lord, this body is yours. I offer it back to you to serve you in the best condition that I can give it back to you. Or something like, here am I, Lord, use all of me. I, I am all yours. Use all of me for your holy purposes. This is an acceptable sacrifice that tells us to the Lord. In fact, it is a means of worship. And we're also bringing our minds, of course, which are more and more being conformed to the Lord and transformed, praise God, by him. It's being sanctified, it's being renewed so that we can then know, we will understand what is the will of God, his good and acceptable and perfect will. And we will act on it with our mind and with our body. We will uh, follow him. Now, a mind conformed to the world so our mind is not to be conformed to the world, but a mind conformed to the world and its way of thinking is uh, led by our selfish will can justify sin. It often justifies sin very well. It can justify just about anything. But it's very destructive. It's destructive to the body and the mind and dishonors our master. His word, his powerful and living word, should dwell in us richly, should dwell in our mind richly. Our minds are to be set on things above and so our wills then will be I believe, submitted to him. Now let's look at some of these general principles. I have just seven, and the first one is on exercise. Both body and mind need to be exercised. I won't ask you to say how many have been going to the gym or anything like that. Um, but First Timothy 4.8, I believe, is a key cross-reference here, and it's a good one to think on and meditate on. And it says, exercise yourself, toward godliness. Now, that, that word in different versions comes out uh, train or discipline. So exercise, train, discipline yourself toward godliness. Paul's c- commanding it, basically. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise for the life that now is and that which is to come. So bodily training is of some value. Staying fit and doing what you can to promote a healthy body is valuable. It pleases the Lord. It's his body. It's an act of good stewardship. Tim Challies uh, explains it this way. This is a warning about neglecting spiritual fitness in favor of physical fitness, but it does not diminish the importance of being fit, for Paul still acknowledges it is of some value. While we know that physical strength is fleeting, that it peaks early and goes into long decline, We also know that our bodies, minds, and spirits operate better in a fit body than in an unfit one. Okay, logical. And I believe we are not to give uh, in to the world's view of what my body should be like at all. For example, on one extreme, you might be thinking, you know, if your standard, if the movies was your standard, you would think, well, I have to be, look like a model or a bodybuilder. Uh, I'm not against uh, lifting weights, by the way. or you might have, you know, or you might think, well, the standard for my body is from the media. And there's continual pressure in this, by the way, brothers and sisters. You might think, well, no, that doesn't impact me. Think again. You see, you see these things all the time. Don't let it do that. Fight against that and being conformed to that uh, because of that pressure. Or another extreme might be, well, I'm, I'm kind of out of shape or I'm really out of shape. Uh, and that's... It, you know, it's probably okay as long as I'm uh, content. I can, I can function. I can do what, what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, I know those are extremes. Uh, there should be neither an obsession about the body uh, and, and how it looks, uh, nor uh, the neglect of it and how I care for it. Now, related to training of the body, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul uh, said this, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. 
lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So he practiced discipline in his body in order to have an effective ministry. And discipline of body goes together with discipline of mind. I'll mention that again in a minute. Also, a healthy body impacts how you are able to carry out the will of God. For example, 1 Timothy 5.8. A healthy body impacts how you are able to, and how long you're able to, possibly, uh, provide for and protect your family. And there's a relationship between exercising our body to be healthy and strong and exercising or training or disciplining our soul or our mind in godliness. The discipline of your body and its appetites can help in disciplining your mind also. We really can't separate body and mind, can we? Now, related to training the mind, this is a verse, it's short, you should all memorize it, maybe you all do. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, Colossians 3.2. Set your mind on things above. What does that mean? Well, basically, we should train our mind to think on the things that please the Lord, certainly on scripture. And you know the old uh, phrase, I don't know, maybe it's too old, nobody remembers, but when I was in computer science in 1972, uh, they said, garbage gigo, garbage in, garbage out. It's probably still the same. You can't put garbage in. You have to be careful what you put in your mind. Romans 12, 2 said, we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So our mind needs to be renewed constantly by the word of God. And I'd like to ask you, how do you exercise your mind? How do you do that? Well, you know I'm gonna say this. You know, what I'm gonna, you know how I'm gonna answer this already, probably. Well, for us, we must memorize scripture and we must meditate on scripture. Okay, now I said it. And it's clear from scripture. Scripture has the power to transform. It is living, it is active, it is powerful. We must meditate on it more than we meditate on anything else. Philippians 4.8, it gives a list of things we should meditate on and it's kind of a general list, but it says whatever things are true, certainly scripture is true. It is the truth. Whatever things are noble, yes, Scripture is noble beyond anything else. Whatever things are just, we only know justice through Scripture. Whatever things are pure, the Word of God is pure. Whatever things are lovely, the Word of God is beautiful. Whatever things are of good report, in other words, pure or uh, of good repute. If there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What do you find yourself meditating on, on a given, you know, when you're tired especially? Meditate on these things. Well, how do you know what, right, what is right in this list to meditate on if, you're, if you don't have the word of God hidden in your heart? So stretch your mind. I think we need to stretch our minds by reading and thinking uh, of you know, things kind of outside our, the things we normally like, uh, you know, attempt and listening to things, hard, hard broadcasts maybe that you know, really make you think through things uh, outside your usual comfort zone. Uh, in other words, less passive entertainment, more active, something that challenges you to think and to create. Now Josh, my son Josh, uh, loves board games. Um, and that's B-O-A-R-D, right? Not B-O-R-E-D. Uh, and his certainly are not boring. Uh, they're really challenging. In fact, uh, they're quite mental for me anyway. And uh, so I too easily quit after getting hammered uh, a few times. And you know, I'm just being, that's, you know, I should just press on and press, you know, really try. And uh, so I'm going to, Josh is listening, now I'm, gonna, now I'm committed. But uh, I quit playing chess with Josh long ago. He was just a little guy when he was killing me. And, uh, you know, I should humble myself and stretch myself. It would be a good thing. Okay, number two. Let's talk about rest a little bit. Stewards need to rest, obviously. You need to rest to be effective in their stewardship calling. And I've told you this before, I'm gonna tell you again. I can tell you exactly, as a minimum, how much you should rest each week. I'll tell you right now, it's one day in seven. It's the Lord's day. It's called the Lord's day. So it's commanded. More is wise, maybe sometimes needed, but that one is clear. Is it possible to get too much rest? You know, I guess if it is to the point of laziness, yeah. Uh, that is, would not be good stewardship. Now in the sermon on the stewardship of time back in February, I quoted this from Joseph Piper in a great book, The Lord's Day. He said, as Sabbath observance sets aside one day for the Lord, it also reminds us that he has given us six days for our work and recreation as stewards. When we limit life's regular responsibilities and pleasures to six days, 
we will necessarily make better use of our time. Do you believe that? So in other words, Sabbath rest makes us better stewards in many ways. Better stewards of our time, certainly, as he said here. But I believe also better stewards of our body and of our mind. And research, I believe, has borne this out, that people or whole societies who do not have a day of rest, even one in seven, but a day of rest somewhere, they do not really gain in productivity like they think they will. They're actually, there's been studies, their productivity actually goes down. They think, oh, I'm just gonna work like crazy. I'll never stop working, I won't take a day of rest. And it actually doesn't help them at all. So there is a mental and physical cost to that kind of lifestyle. Solomon said in Psalm 127, it is in vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Now the meaning here is that it's in vain, it's, uh, it's not productive, it's not helpful or wise or even healthy to get up early and work like crazy, to stay up late for whatever reason, uh, because you're anxious. In other words, you'll eat the bread of anxious toil, it says. And the result is, uh, you know, you'll eat the bread of sorrows is another way to put it. But if you trust in the Lord and rest in him, in other words, you rest in mind and body, you can often be uh, more able to fulfill your stewardship calling, whatever that may be. So beyond the Lord's day of rest, which is extremely needful and honoring to the Lord and commanded, I would suggest planning times of physical and mental rest in a given month or a given year, especially in a given, and also in a given day, and daily, in some small way. It is the Lord's body, and it is the Lord's mind. And you might ask sometime, put a note, ask, you know, pray. Ask the Lord to show you or to convict you if you are not being a good and faithful steward because of lack of rest or any of these other things I'm about to mention or of exercise or of other things that we're gonna talk about. Ask the Lord, Lord, am I being a good steward? This is yours, I am yours. It is the Lord's body. So one more thought regarding rest. Don Whitney in the book uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, he has an excellent chapter. Uh, I think it's the best summary I've ever read. Uh, it's really good. On, on a means of rest, that is far too uncommon in our age. And that is the blessing of silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. I think our culture doesn't even know how to take a break in silence. We barely know how to live in silence, how to deal with it. To be alone with the Lord especially, we should. It's almost an addiction to noise. Jim Elliott, the, the martyr who died in Ecuador, said this, I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements, noise, hurry, and crowds. Satan is quite aware of the power of silence. And Don Whitney said, as daily sleep and rest refresh the body, so daily silence and solitude refresh the soul. So I'd urge you again, think about this. How often, you know, I know it's hard for some to have much silence in their daily life, um, but Don Whitney has some really practical suggestions, lots of them actually in that chapter, and one called Minute Retreats I thought was great. I'll let you look that up. Uh, I thought it was a great idea. And we have to remember that our Lord Jesus on earth took times to rest and for retreats. And this reminded me of a verse uh, in our final song. Our final song today is Take My Life and Let It Be. It has been the final song in most of, the, uh, s- most of this series. And I think it's the first verse that says, take my moments and my days. You're offering, Lord, take my moments, you know, every moment in a day and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. I believe we were made for that. We're to learn to pray unceasingly. And I I think we can can do that that more than we are. And we read this morning from Isaiah 30. It said, in quietness, and confidence or trust. So in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. There is strength in silence and solitude. Psalm 62 says uh, several times, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. I believe we should more and more treasure the silence that you can have with the Lord. Number three, eating and habits and nutrition. I I read a lot of things here. I I ended up cutting most of it. There's no time for all that could be said here. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's pretty clear. Whether you eat or drink, 
do it for the glory of God as a steward. Obviously, what you eat and how much you eat impacts the health of your body, which is the Lord's. So regarding how much, uh, there's just two verses here. They're both from Proverbs 23. 23 23.1 says, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Now, there's a lot of things to explain in that culturally, but in other words, you better be moderate in that situation and you better exercise restraint. And then he goes on uh, later in the chapter, it says, do not mix with wine bibbers, in other words, hang out all the time with wine bibbers, or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. That's Proverbs 23, 19 through 21. So brothers and sisters, gluttony is an issue of self-control. It's a sin. Proverbs 25, 28 says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. I like the NIV, which I memorized in long ago, but a man without self-control is like a city without, is like a city broken into and left without walls. So you can picture that. A city broken into, left without walls, what condition are they in? Well, they're very vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. They're in a weak position in battle, in times of battle. And part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And I'd like to mention here the blessing of fasting, just to conclude this little part. Uh, In other words, to subjugate the flesh and to help in mortifying its sinful desires and actually to heal it in some ways. There's a lot of study now uh, regarding fasting and its uh, help in the body. If you want to study fasting more, read Isaiah 58. But this morning we did read Matthew, from Matthew 6. And we are to fast in order to please the Lord. We fast to please the Lord. Our Father who is in the secret place then will reward us, it says openly. Matthew 6. We will be rewarded by our act of worship through fasting, and I believe we will be rewarded in a healthier body. That's one of the, all these things in Matthew 6.33, I think. All these things will be added to you as you're honoring me, worshiping me as you should. Don Whitney, again, uh, has a, another great chapter, I thought. Uh, again, I think it's the best overview of fasting that I have read. Um, and it's in the chapter called Fasting for, for the Purpose of Godliness. He quotes this. This is Cornelius Plantinga. He was, uh, uh, he is, I think he's still alive, a theologian, and he wrote, self-indulgence is the enemy of gratitude, or thankfulness. Self-indulgence is the enemy of gratitude, and self-discipline is usually its friend and generator. In other words, self-discipline generates gratitude, makes you more thankful. And then he concluded, that is why gluttony is a deadly sin. Gluttony is a deadly sin, he said. It uh, messes with uh, our ability to give gratitude. Well, now that, that chapter, I would just end here, has 10 major categories on the purpose of fasting. Very well done. And I exhort you to consider the discipline of fasting. And unless there's some physical reason that uh, you cannot do that, if you believe you've been avoiding this, or if you're fearful of it, or for whatever reason, again, ask the Lord, Lord, should I be doing that more? Or how should I do that? Fasting, uh, I read another book, uh, just a few quotes from a pastor named Shane Eidelman. He wrote a book called Feasting and Fasting. It's, it's quite interesting. He had uh, a number of good quotes. He's a pastor. He also has a training facility. I guess he would call it a health care center or something. Um, and on the whole, I thought it was very good. But he said, we pray for God to heal. We pray for God to heal us when we should also pray for the self-discipline to change harmful habits. I agree. And fasting takes self-discipline, and it develops, in fact, self-discipline. Another reason for fasting, and as I shared earlier, we are to train ourselves, it said, in godliness. Training, yeah, it, it takes work. It's called training. We're to train ourselves in godliness, and fasting can be part of that. He had another thought. He said, fasting is a spiritual discipline designed to aid in victory. And I believe what he meant by that was victory over the sinful desires of our flesh. And he said, much of the healing that I have witnessed over the years, he said, and it's been quite a few years he's been doing this, was the result of renewed stewardship of the body. People were breaking their stewardship trust of their body, and they would come into him, say, oh, I need to do something. And they were praying for healing. Yeah, that's, but 
they were not practicing good stewardship at all. And so he, the Lord used him in many people's lives in this way. He also said, remove the hindrances within your home. And he had two hindrances that he focused on. It was very interesting. Remove the junk food and the junk media. Junk food, at least a lot of it, harms the body, of course. Now, I mean, Cheetos sometimes or something like that. You know, it, it's talking about a lot of, you know, endemic, or you're, you're continually doing this to your body. I'm confessing basically because Johnny bought Cheetos this week and I, I ate them, but... Um, and I don't know if it harmed my body, but it tasted good. But, uh, but I don't eat Cheetos like once a year. So my confession's done. But, um, so, you know, those things can harm the body, but uh, junk media, and there is t- a ton of junk media, that harms the mind. And it's insidious. And I don't think a lot of times, you know, we watch something, and, ah, that wasn't right, and it's stuck in there. It's, it's not a good influence. And of course, there needs to be a balance in, in our eating, uh, eating from various food groups. You know, that's a generally healthy thing to do and provides more of uh, the body's needed nutrients. And we do need to think of that. And we need to keep learning about this. You know, what can I do right now with all the things that are out there right now on the internet? What can I do? What can I learn? How can I be a better steward? I was going to add here that donuts fit in all the food groups, but uh, I'm not going to push that, so... Now, I think eating habits and nutrition, though, are areas we need to teach our young uh, children. We need to start early. I, I, I don't think Cherry and I, in our homeschooling that I remember, maybe she remembers, talked a lot about nutrition and food, and, but we did have a certain period where they learned about the body and how things work, but uh, we should help them understand that, again, the main point here is that their body is the Lord's, and that keeping it healthy is a blessed task of the believer. It shouldn't be a burden And we can and we should thank the Lord each time we eat, of course, as most of us do all the time, for the strength, first of all, for the strength that it gives us to serve him as a steward, and also for the enjoyment of it, the enjoyment of the various tastes the Lord made possible by the amazing body he gave us. Now, I recently found a Christian nutritionist online who has a very interesting, helpful website, and it's to help parents help their children to understand healthy eating habits. And it's kind of fun. I thought it was an excellent website, very uh, fun to look at. And it talked about balance and moderation and what food does to your body. And it's called Kids Eat in Color. Kidseatincolor.com. And uh, I would just suggest it, you know, if your kids are having uh, eating eating issues, it looked very helpful, and she's a believer. And uh, the subtitle was Helping You to Get Your Kids to Eat Veggies and Try Foods. That's good. And sub, another one was 102 activities for picky kids. Anybody have any of those? Okay, point number four. Confession is healing to the body and the mind. Uh, long, uh, maybe four years ago, uh, when I went through James 5, uh, on the effective and fervent prayer, it says this. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save or, or heal uh, the sick and the Lord will raise him up. He'll be able to get off his sick bed. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's very clear. Confession has a role in healing. The main point, I believe, is that healing can come if we pray for one another. Prayers of faith by people of faith. People are in the faith together. Praying for each other in the body avail much. Very effective. And confession removes a burden and is part of that restoration. Part of the restoration of members of the body of Christ and also of the emotional and even the physical healing of our body. In Psalm 32, David said, when I kept silent, you remember this? He didn't confess. When I kept silent, he knew he had sinned egregiously. My bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. So David's vitality, his energy, his physical health and his strength was greatly diminished by his refusal, his delay in confessing his sin. David's body was weakened like uh, he had aged, aged a lot just through that short time. And God's hand on a person, his chastening hand can do that. In this case, uh, unconfessed sin impacted David day and night, he said. Psalm 31, David said, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. 
My eye wastes away with grief, yes, my soul and my body. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. May we here be quick to confess to the Lord and to one another that so that we would not have this kind of grief, this depth of grief, which so impacts our soul and our body, that we would not be reduced in strength due to unconfessed sin. That we would then, though, be able to go forward in strength as a, as a steward. Number five, words can hurt and words can heal. <clears throat> Proverbs 12 says, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 18, there is one or there is a person who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Again, I like the version I memorized a long time ago. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Our words can be really painful. They can pierce like a sword. You might as well have just stabbed him. But it can also heal. Proverbs 18, 21. I'm sorry, another proverb. Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Not just to you, of course, but to those to whom you are speaking these pleasant words. Words fitly spoken. Sweetness to their soul. Health to their bones. People are physically impacted by your words. By the way, I forgot to share, I wanted to share this, but uh, regarding the piercing, the reckless words that pierce like a sword, we have to remember that words in anger or words without thought can wound and impact another person's health. If, if not ours also. But the words of the wise promote health. Another verse, this talks about the seriousness of our words. So there's death or life in our words. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's a lot of power. A lot of power there. James 3 tells us that the tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. It can be. Proverbs 15, 4, a wholesome or a healing tongue is a tree of life. Proverbs 10 tells us the mouth of the righteous is a well of life. May that be so here. May we be bringing words of life to each other. We can do that. I believe we do do that, mostly. Ephesians 4.29, one of my go-to verses in counseling, one of my favorite verses, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. We should be kind to one another, brothers and sisters, in our speech. We should be tender-hearted to one another in our speech. And certainly we should be uh, forgiving. We should speak words of forgiveness as needed. Number six, worry is a very unhealthy habit for your body and your mind. We can't avoid all stress, of course, but we can develop the habit of dealing with it by faith so that it does not harm our body or our mind. Worry makes us less effective stewards. It can harm the body and it is a sin against the Lord. In our scripture reading before confession this morning from Matthew 6, Jesus commanded us not to worry. And in my sermon called Worry Warts back in 2014, I shared seven uh, reasons or seven, uh, why we worry. I'll just give these very quickly. And um, first of all, our treasure is in the wrong place. We don't understand what lasting treasure is. In other words, we should be laying our treasures up in heaven, setting our minds on on things above, on that treasure. Secondly, we aren't generous with, quote, our treasure or our wealth or our possessions or even our body as stewards on this earth. We aren't being generous. So we worry about it. We try to serve two masters. We already heard this morning. That doesn't work. Stewards cannot do that. And we take our eyes off of our true master. Fourth, we understand what, we, we misunderstand what true life is. Not, it's not possessions, it's not success, it's not exactly the way we look. We misunderstand, this is fifth, we misunderstand our value to our Heavenly Father. Jesus died for us. Our body and our mind are valuable. We think worry actually accomplishes something. It can't add one cubit to your stature. Can't, can't help you on that. Can't, can't help your health. 
And then last, we don't want to let God provide in his time and in his way. So we do things on our own. It's usually hurtful. So worry is the sin of unbelief and the sin of fear, and we have to confess that and repent by turning in faith to the Lord and to his promises. And I believe we have to do that daily. Number seven, humor and cheerfulness. Wanted to end on this note. Proverbs 15, 13. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. Another verse, Proverbs 17, 22. A merry heart does good, like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. It's quite a comparison there. Again, James 5 says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Praise God that for the Christian, even in suffering or sickness, our hearts can know the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, and we can sing his precious word. We can sing it, we can rejoice in it, and it increases our joy and our cheer. In times of suffering and sorrow, singing psalms is very helpful in turning our hearts to the Lord, in calming our hearts, in other words, in resting, uh, in turning our minds to the one who loves us and, and gives us many reasons for being cheerful. Laughter and wholesome laugh humor have been linked in many ways to, uh, as very beneficial to a person's health. If you have a merry and a thankful and a cheerful heart, you will probably impact others around you as well as your own health. And I don't know where that quote came, laughter is the best medicine. Uh, maybe it was a show or something. Uh, but, uh, you know, it is helpful. And I looked at a few studies, but here's just one. Uh, a few uh, things from a study. I, these were all non-Christians, uh, but they were interesting. I think I looked at four of them. One said, laughter relaxes the whole body. In other words, it relieves physical tension, I guess, and stress. And then again, laughter can boost the immune system. Well, that's quite a claim, but well, they had some statistics there. It decreases stress hormones and increases infec infection-fighting antibodies. You know, um, laughter triggers the release of endorphins. I guess that's a good thing. Uh, apparently, you, all, you probably know what that does, but... Uh, I didn't study that. In other words, I guess that gives you a general sense of health of, and, and well-being. Laughter protects the heart. Uh, it, it had some study, and it showed that the blood vessels in the heart, actually, the blood flow is better in, in those cases. This one I thought was really interesting. Laughter burns calories, you know? Uh, and, and it was funny, because it says here, one study found that laughing for 10 to 15 minutes a day, but it didn't say continuously, uh, but okay, I can see 10 to 15 minutes throughout a day. But it said that can burn 40 calories. Uh, really? I don't know. Yeah, okay, maybe in the course of a year there's something to, something to thank, be thankful for. And then the last one, other one, la laughter lightens anger's heavy load. Now this is a non-Christian study. They know the danger of anger. And it said laughter lightens anger's load. It they said it diffuses anger and conflict. So there you go. Uh, we could joke a lot more than we do. And I'm thankful for the humor, the, the general humor we have in our congregation. Some of it's a little weird, but, you know, I would urge you who, maybe, if you don't know, maybe you don't know it's weird, but uh, I would urge you to press on because, you know, we are meant to encourage each other in this way. Negativity or a critical spirit uh, impacts your bodily health, it just does and it will, and the health of others in the body too. Ephesians 4 commands us to not let any corrupt word proceed out of our mouth, but that which is good for necessary edification, um, and then it will impart grace in a timely manner. Let's see, I think I'll skip a little bit. So we should not minimize how important and effective it can be to inject appropriate humor into the life of our brothers and sisters and the Lord. And of course, we should try to understand each other's humor and give grace if your style, uh, you know, if using your style uh, isn't quite working. But um, certainly we're not to use coarse jesting. And uh, Ephesians 5 tells us neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting. Those are not fitting. Those are some of the things that said that nuts should not come out of a Christian's mouth. Um, so certain kinds of humor, like sarcasm, too, can be overdone. But personally, I like the Babylon Bee every day. I don't know how I even got on that, but I, it gives me a chuckle. I, I think it's fun. I like Dave Lane's daily jokes. I don't know when he started sending them to me, but uh, you know they're mostly about him. Uh, I like Jeff Kreutz's puns. I like all the Kreutz's puns. And uh, you know those, I appreciate that. 
And I think these things can be developed. Uh, we can develop in this way. By the way, you're supposed to laugh at yourself and not at others, right? You're supposed to laugh with others. So humor and cheerfulness don't minimize, of course, the challenges and the trials of our lives or of the, the age that we're living in. But I was pleased uh, during this past seven, eight months, uh, there's, uh, at least to me, a big increase in, in uh, the memes and the humorous quotes and the posts that were basically trying to balance out this crazy time. You know, really, I, 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 it just seems like there are many more of them. I think there are people realizing, I can't take this. I need to read something along another line. And they weren't, again, minimizing the seriousness. So, a patient walks into a clinic, terribly anxious, and said, nurse, please help me. I'm shrinking. I'm losing an inch of height every few minutes. And the nurse said, sorry, the team is on their way to an emergency. You're just going to have to be a little patient. <laughs> Maybe you've heard that one. Now, generally, um, there is humor and there, it's okay to have humor in a sermon. Generally, sermons are not meant to entertain. I was making a point. Do you feel better? Uh, so let's consider, let's think about that. You can pray about it. Lord, how can I grow in this area to be a blessing to the people I love here? Let's consider ways to cheer each other and to laugh even more than we do together. I'm thankful for you all and the joy we have together. So dear fellow citizens of heaven and dear fellow stewards, members of body, the body of Christ, may we become better stewards of our minds and our bodies, which are his, so that we might be able to serve our master acceptably. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are your people. What a great blessing to know this and to have a certainty that we are your people and we are your stewards blessed by you to be able to use the bodies, the amazing bodies that you've given us and minds that you've given to us to work and to serve and to worship and to be involved in the building of your kingdom. And Lord, we ask that we would grow as faithful stewards of our bodies and of our minds, remembering that they are yours and that your Holy Spirit dwells in us, that they are given to bless many others and to bring glory to your name as instruments of righteousness. And Lord, we rejoice that we can present our bodies to you as living sacrifices, and that you are renewing our minds, and we do praise you now for your grace in enabling us to be better stewards. And we pray all this, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of our Master, Jesus Christ. Amen.